My name is Alan Carr. I'm pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Lenore, North Carolina. Thank you for visiting our webpage and for taking the time to listen to one of our sermons. We hope this sermon, which was preached in our pulpit, will be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and help you grow in your understanding of God's Word. God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of the Word of God. All right, we are still in James chapter number 2, if you will. Find your place there, verse 14. Um, last Sunday began this message by preaching from verse 14. Today, by the grace of God, we'll get the rest of it. And I know it's hard to, for some of you who weren't here to come in on the second part of a message, but we'll try to ease that pain for you without a whole lot of repetition. I don't like to go back and cover everything I've already talked about again, uh, but uh, we do have to kind of bring us up to speed just a little bit. So that'd be James 2 and verse number 14. And if you have that place in your Bible, you found it already, let's stand together in honor of God's Word, if you're able, and uh, we'll read the text and then just preach what it says. Try to. James 2, 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and hath not works, can faith save him? Good question. Verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful for the body, an evil to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, if it hath not works, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. We'll stop. There you may be seated. Thank you for standing, and we trust God will honor his word today. Just by way of introduction, let me remind you that James has covered a lot of ground in this chapter. He began the first part in verses 1 through 9 by talking about the issue of favoritism and partiality. And James taught us that partiality and favoritism, when it's in our life, it reveals a lack of love for other people. That's what it reveals. When we judge people based on how they look or what their ethnic background is or where they're at on the social ladder, we simply don't love them like Jesus loves them. That's what he taught us, and that's a hard truth to hear, but it is a fact from the Word of God. Then James, in connection with that, reminds us that even if we break just one of God's commandments, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. That's a very serious matter, too. He's emphasizing that if we don't love like we should, we're guilty of breaking God's law, and we are sinners. That's the bottom line. Now, a lot of folk would deny they have sinned, and yet every one of us is a sinner before God because we've broken God's law, uh, not necessarily through murder or adultery or some of those other egregious sins, but we have broken God's law because we've, never, we've not all loved like we should all of our life, and that's James' point. We haven't kept the whole law, so we stand guilty as sinners before God. I was interested this weekend, I was reading, and uh, came across an article that was written back in 2012, and it is actually a statement of faith by certain members in the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. 
And I read that statement of their faith. They were trying to push their agenda. And in one portion of that document, they made the statement that a person is not guilty before God until they personally sin. They don't inherit sin from Adam. They didn't inherit a sin nature from Adam. That they're innocent until they sin before God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's heresy. The fact is, every one of us was born a sinner, and we prove the fact that we are sinners by the things that we do, and that's James's point. We don't keep the law, and so you and I are guilty as sinners before God. But now James wants us to know, as we come into the text we've read today, that faith and works are not mutually exclusive. He wants us to know it's not enough to have faith. There must be works attached to that faith to prove that you are truly saved. He wants us to see that genuine faith in God always produces work or fruit that glorifies God. Now, works can't save us. Works by themselves can never bring us to God. As we all know, we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But after we come to know Jesus, we prove that we have been saved by the things that we do. And that's why James asked the questions he did in verse number 14. He asked uh, two rhetorical questions there that demand a no answer. He said, What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say, He hath faith and have not works? Then he says, Can faith save him? And the idea there is not that a person must work his way to God, but James wants us to understand that once we believe the gospel, we're going to prove that we have faith, by the way we live our lives. That's what he's trying to say, and that's all he's trying to say, and we need to understand that. He wants us to understand that faith in Jesus Christ provides salvation. Faith in Him alone does that, but godly works also follow that salvation and prove that it's real. And I'm talking to you about two sides of the same coin. I've got a, in my hand again another quarter. It's got a fun-looking dude with a ponytail on the front. That's George Washington. On the back, this one has some kind of a tree, but that front and that back come together to make up a coin. If I separate this coin into two separate parts, it's not going to be worth anything. I have destroyed its value. You've got to have the front and you've got to have the back. That's what James wants us to know. When it comes to faith in Christ, we've got to have the front, which is our faith in the gospel. We believe that. But on the back side of that, we have to prove that by the things that we do. True faith will always work itself out through godly works for the glory of God, and that's all he's trying to say. Now, we're going to dig deeper into that proposition this morning as we continue to talk about two sides of the same coin. Last week, we talked about verse 14, and that was a word of interrogation where James asked those pointed questions about uh, whether faith can save us and the answer is, faith alone cannot do it. And now Paul moves on into verse 15 through 17 by giving us a word of illustration. So let's look at verses 15, 16, and 17. And in these verses, James imagines a scene out of daily life. He imagines a Christian coming into a fellowship, and he says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food. So he's talking about a Christian who comes in amongst the other believers, but this brother or the sister, they, they have no food, and he says they're naked. That word naked doesn't mean they don't have any clothes on. What it means is their clothing is inadequate. 
Perhaps they're dressed in rags, or perhaps they lack an outer garment. But either way, they come to the house of God, and they're not dressed to the standard of some other people. And so these other believers who are more affluent, who have good clothing, they are there in their finery. And James also tells us they are eating. The poor believer has nothing to eat, while the wealthy believers have more than they need. He's probably picturing here them gathering around the Lord's table. In the early days of the church, they didn't celebrate communion necessarily like we do. Folk brought their food and they gathered around the Lord's table and they celebrated together with a feast, a love feast they called it, and they worshiped God through that. But sometimes in some churches, the poor believers were left to sit with nothing to eat or drink while the rich believers stuffed themselves and refused to share with those who had nothing. That's what James is picturing here. Now, in the midst of this gathering, one of the more wealthy members in verse 16 says to the poor believer, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. He says to them, He says to him, Go in peace, brother. I pray you'll be warm and full. That's what he says. And he has these intentions to uh, pray for that brother and to wish him the best in life. But James tells us that's all he does is talk about it. He said, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. You, you have this wish for them, but you have it in your power to clothe them and to feed them, and you don't do it. James says, what doth it profit? And the answer is, there is no good in it at all. If I see you with a lack in your life, and I have the means to meet that need you have, and yet I tell you, well, I'm going to pray for you, I hope everything works out, and that's all I do, I have not proven that I know Jesus, and I've not proven that I love you, because I've not produced any fruit in our relationship. Does that make sense? And James follows this up in verse 17 by saying, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. That is a strong statement. James says it's fine to say you have faith in Christ. It's fine to say that you are a believer. But you've got to have something to back that up. You can't just run around saying I'm a Christian and I believe the gospel and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. You've got to have some fruit in your life. You've got to have some proof that you are who you say you are or you are not who you say you are. Because a salvation that does not produce fruit is a salvation that cannot save. A faith in Christ that does not demonstrate itself by good works is not saving faith at all. Now, we expect the world to do this, right? We expect that from them. We expect them to acknowledge God publicly and talk about Him and yet deny Him by the things they do and the way they live. That's what we expect. Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3 tells us all about how the world works. He tells us they're dead, they're deceived, they're in this lifestyle to gratify their flesh, they're serving the devil. Yes, they may acknowledge God over here. Take politicians, for example. Politicians will stand before a camera and they will acknowledge God. They'll say stuff like, God bless America, all that kind of stuff. And yet in their personal lives, they deny Him by the works they do. When they vote on legislation, many times they vote for legislation that dishonors God and stands against the Bible. They do not prove what they say they believe 
by the way they live their lives. James says a faith like that is a dead faith. So we expect the world to do that. But what we don't expect is for the people who know God to acknowledge Him with their lips and yet deny Him by their lives, and yet they often do. And when you and I acknowledge Christ with our lips and we deny Him by the way we live, we reveal that our so-called faith in Jesus is nothing but a lie. In fact, James would go further and James would say, it is dead. It's like a corpse. It can accomplish nothing. It can produce nothing. It's nothing but a mere mental assent to the truth. It is nothing but a confession you make. It is not powerful enough to change your life. And therefore, it is not enough to save you. James said, it is dead. We'll come to that passage there in just a moment. True faith requires both compassion and action. I'm reminded of a story of a preacher who was out one day and he came along a friend of his whose horse had been accidentally killed. And this crowd of people is looking around, this dead horse, they're standing there and they're all expressing these empty words of sympathy. I would imagine a good horse is expensive and in those days money was hard to come by. So the preacher stepped up, listening to all these empty words of sympathy, and he said this, he said, I'm sorry, five pounds, and in that American money, about 20 bucks, I'm sorry, $20 worth, how much are you sorry? Then he passed the hat. That's how you prove that you have something. So you've got to have some works to show that what you say is true in your life is really true. Now, we don't like to hear this, do we? Because we live in a day of easy church and easy believism, and you come into church and you sit down and everybody identifies you as a Christian, you identify as a Christian yourself, but you don't do anything about it. You never produce anything. There's no fruit. There's no good works. James says that kind of faith is a dead faith. It's nothing but words, and there is no reality in it at all. So, The whole point James is trying to make here is that when we know Jesus, we back up our faith in Him with works for Him, and a faith that does not work is a dead faith. There is no faith in it at all. So what should these rich believers have done? They should have shared their food with that one who was hungry. They should have have shared their cloak or their clothing. They should have shared with that one. They should have reached out in love and say, we have these things in excess. You don't have them at all. We're going to help you, and we're going to prove we love Christ. We're going to prove we love you by the things we do for you, and that would have been fruit. But James says their faith is dead. Now, John addressed this in the passage that you see on the screen. He said, Whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The point is, if you see your brother have need, and you don't do anything about it, he said, God's love is not in you. It's just not there. Then he said, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed in truth. Now watch this. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. So John says the same things James does. That if you have faith, you're going to have works, and those works give assurance to your heart, and they prove the reality of your profession of faith. You get that? It's not real hard to understand, is it? 
If my faith in Jesus is real, there will be fruit in my life. We'll come back to it a little bit, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the good seed falling on the good ground and it producing fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Yes, there'll be different levels of fruit, but there will be fruit in your life if you know Jesus Christ. Every time. And if that fruit is missing, it means that the giver of life is missing. It means that your profession of faith is nothing but words. Words cannot save you. Works cannot save you. But when my faith is in Jesus, and I back that up by how I live and what I do, John says I can have the assurance that I know God and that I'm saved. Okay? So there's his illustration. Now notice in verses 18 and 19, there's a word of illumination. Now, James again introduces us to an imaginary person. He says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. So this imaginary objector walks up to James, and he says, Well, you've got faith, but I've got works. That's what he's talking about there. He's saying, Now you and I come at this a different way. You got your faith, and I got my works. We both really believe in Jesus, so we're both saved. It doesn't really matter how, we're do, how we do it. We're both right with God. This guy has a live and let live kind of attitude about salvation. You do it your way, I do it my way. God accepts us both and everything's cool. But James counters this objection in verse 18 by saying, Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. James said, prove that you have faith in Jesus without doing anything for Him. Can you do that? The answer is no. No. Absolutely not. You can claim anything you want to, but if your life doesn't manifest fruit to the glory of God, James says your salvation is dead. James says you try to prove what you believe without doing anything. But I'm going to prove what I believe by what I do. Now James has the right attitude. He understands that faith always precedes salvation. We believe in Christ. God saves us. But works automatically follow when we believe in Jesus. Works don't save. Faith does. But a faith that's real always produces works. Real faith is an active faith. That's what you need to know. Now, Jesus talked about this, and I referenced it a minute ago, the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the soils in Matthew chapter 5. And he tells us about a farmer who went out to sow some seed in the field. And some of that seed fell on hard ground. It couldn't penetrate, couldn't germinate. The birds came and got it. Other fell on stony soil. There was no depth of earth, and so when the seed germinated, the little plant came up. There was no root system. The sun burned the, the wheat up, and it died right there. Some fell on thorny soil. Again, when it came up, it was choked out by the thorns around it. But some of that seed fell on good prepared soil. That seed germinated, plants came up, and eventually it produced fruit, and the farmer harvested his grain. Now, Jesus wants us to know that in all four cases, the seed was good. The difference in those four scenarios Jesus mentioned 
was in the soils and in the fruit. The seed that fell on hard soil, rocky soil, and thorny soil produced absolutely no fruit. But the seed that fell on the good soil, it brought forth fruit. And I've already referenced this passage where Jesus said, But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. Now watch it. Which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So what in the world is he talking about by fruit? What is Jesus telling us? What is James telling us? What is the Apostle John telling us? They are telling us that true living faith always produces fruit. What kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, you can talk about the fruit of the Spirit if you want to. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of those attitudes and actions, when they are present in our lives, that is fruit of the Spirit. If I am saved and I am born again and the Spirit of God lives in me, there will be an attitude in me, there will be action in my life that bears fruit to the glory of God. I will love people. I will have peace. I will have joy. I'll be long-suffering. I'll be gentle. I'll do good things. I'll have active goodness in my life. I'll have faith in God. There'll be a meekness. There'll be a temperance in my life. All of these things will be manifested in me to one degree or another. But if all I have is a profession of faith, without ever having met Jesus Christ, my life will be devoid of good works that bring glory to God. I may do good things for others. I may produce good things from a human perspective. But there will be no spiritual fruit. There will be nothing in my life that brings honor and glory to God. You and I this morning should look at ourselves and see if what we really have is genuine. Is my profession of faith in Christ producing anything eternal from my life? Is it? Is your faith that you say you have, is it accomplishing anything? You say, well, I'm here today and I'm listening to you blabber on and on and on. Well, that's a good thing. You came to church. Wonderful. But what are you doing with that? Are you sharing the gospel as you go about your daily life? Are you investing in the kingdom of God by giving? Are you loving others around you by reaching out to them financially and physically helping them? Are you uh, reaching out in love to, to be a blessing to others? That's what we ought to ask ourselves. Because we can come to an altar and we can pray a prayer and we can say that we're saved. We can stand up and tell the church, God save me. But if our lives don't change and if we don't do anything different from that point forward, we are not saved. And if we don't last in what we begin to do, we're like that seed that fell in the thorny soil. We come up and we flourish for a little time, but we're choked out by our lust and our affection and there's no fruit. At the end of the day, it's not about how good the plant looks. It's about what kind of fruit you produce. If you have fruit, that is a sign you know the Lord. If you don't have fruit, it is a sign you need to be born again. Faith and work. 
Got to have them both. Faith connects me to God through Christ. Works prove that Christ is in me, living through me. That's what it comes down to. Now, I don't know your heart. I don't even fully know my own heart. But I know this much about both of us. If we have faith in Jesus, there will be something different about us that produces good fruit to the glory of God. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 21, I didn't put this up. Jesus said this, you can look it up if you want to, Matthew 7, 16. He said, ye shall know them by their fruits. Now that's not the Baptist preacher talking, that's Jesus. You will know them by their fruits. Listen to what he said. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Absolutely not. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Then Jesus said, Wherefore, by their fruit ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said, you can call me Lord, you can say you know me, but if you don't prove it by the way you live, by bearing good fruit, Jesus said, you're none of mine. Faith without works is dead. Strong statement, isn't it? And it ought to make us look closely at ourselves. Now in verse 19, James again gives us an illustration. He said, Thou believest there is one God. Now, you've got to remember, James is talking to people who were saved out of Judaism. These are Christians who were Jews. And they had this mantra, the Jews did, they prayed every day. And they prayed out of Deuteronomy 6 where it said, The Lord our Lord is one God. And so they had this thing where they believed in God. They were a monotheistic people. That is, they believed in one God. James says, you believe in God, that's good. In modern vernacular, we would say, you believe in Jesus, that's good. But then James punches a hole in that balloon of hope when he says, the devils also believe and tremble. Did you know that every demon in the world, even Satan himself, not a single one of them is an atheist. Every devil believes in God. Every demon believes in the Trinity. Every demon believes that the Bible is the Word of God. Everyone believes in heaven and hell. Everyone believes in the crucifixion of Christ on the cross. Everyone believes in the resurrection. Everyone believes in the virgin birth. Everyone believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Every demon believes everything this book says. And the Bible says not only do they believe, but they tremble. That word tremble there means to bristle. To bristle. That's what to bristle up, to shudder. It's like a, you ever scared a cat? Isn't that fun? I mean, you scare a cat and that tail goes like that, it bristles up. That's what James says. When the demons think about God, when they think about Jesus, when they think about hell, and they think about eternal punishment, and they think about the things of God, it scares them. They bristle up. They shudder. But you know what? 
Not a single demon is saved. They believe, but they don't have real faith because they produce no fruit for God. They know the truth, but they continue to serve the devil. It is a mere mental acceptance of the facts that produces no change of life and no fruit in their, in their life at all. And so James says, you believe great. They believe too. And they bristle up like a scared cat when they think about God. But not a single one of them is saved. You see, salvation is a heart issue. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You've got to go beyond just saying something into believing something with your whole being. It's one thing to believe that an airplane can take you from Charlotte or Raleigh or Greensboro to uh, Los Angeles. You can believe that all day. But until you get in the plane and take the flight, your faith means nothing. You can believe your car will get you from point A to point B, but until you get in, start it up, and drive there, you've proven nothing by your faith. There's always fruit attached to our faith. You understand what James is saying? You can claim to be something all day long, but at the end of the day, it's your fruit that matters. Let me give you one more passage here. Maybe a couple more. In Acts 16.30, the Philippian jailer cries, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer to him is, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now the word believe there means, or rather own rather, means motion toward and rest upon the object of one's faith. So the object is Jesus and Paul is saying, you've got to move toward him and you've got to rest upon him, but when you do, guess what works will happen. Right? Look what Jesus said, John 6, 29. This is the work of God, that you believe on whom he hath sent. Did you know the first work is faith in Christ? That's the first work. You say, well, that's not a work, that's faith. Jesus said it's a work. So it is an exercise, right? I'm a lost sinner, I'm going to hell. Holy Spirit comes to me one day, He reveals to me that I'm lost. He reveals to me the wrath of God. He shows me where I'm headed, He shows me what I am. And He also shows me that Christ died for my sins and rose again from the dead. And He lets me know that if I will believe on Him, God will save me. He gives me faith to believe, and I exercise that faith in Christ. Jesus said that's the first work. But it's not the last work. Because after that first work of faith, where you do the Father's will and you believe on Him who God has sent, works are going to naturally follow. Why? Because you're made a new creature. And Paul tells us that we're His workmanship and we are created in Christ Jesus, what? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God made us a new creature so that we might go to work for God. You get that? You say, preacher, we know all this stuff. Well, not everybody does. You know how I know? If everybody got this and everybody understood this, you wouldn't have people coming forward in an emotional service or 
in some other kind of a setting and making some profession of faith and then going right back out to their sins. You wouldn't have that. It wouldn't happen. Why? Because, listen, if they really understood this and they were really converted, they would be different. They would produce fruit to the glory of God. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't understand all this stuff. I don't understand necessarily all the uh, parts, faith, and works play in my salvation. But I know this much. When God saved me 34 years ago, He changed my life. And there was a desire from that day to this to be around the things of God. Uh, Go to God's house. Read God's Word. Pray. Tell others about my Savior. All of those things are just part of who I am now. And they didn't used to be there, but they are there now. How do you explain that? Other than Jesus came in and changed me and set me to work for His glory. And I look around this room and I'm not the only one. There are other people in here who used to be one way, but you met Jesus, now you're another way, and you bear fruit to God's glory. That says something about your salvation. Now, I can't inspect your fruit. Sometimes I'm deluded about my own fruit. But I know this, I am to bear fruit. And if I'm not bearing fruit through good works to the glory of God, then I am not saved. I don't care if I prayed when I was eight years old in Bible school. I don't care what kind of professions I've made, how many times I've tried to quote-unquote rededicate my life, which is hogwash. Most of those folk, if they really changed, they just got saved at that moment. That's bottom line. Huh? When you meet Him, your life will change. When you meet Him, you will bear fruit to the glory of God. When you meet Him, you will be different. And if there's no change, there's no relationship. Faith without works, James said, is dead. It is a corpse, it is useless, it is good for nothing, but to be buried and done away with. So you say, what in the world are we supposed to do? We are supposed to examine ourselves. And we are supposed to ask ourselves at this point, is my faith in Jesus alone for salvation? What am I trusting to get me to heaven? What am I believing in to get me there? I can't speak for you, but for me, it's the fact that God loved me, sent His Son to die for me. Jesus paid for my sins when He went to the cross. He rose again from the dead. He told me that if I would believe on Him, He would save me, and He did. But a lot of folk have nothing to prove that they know God. And some folk, even in this room right now, may be trusting your good works to get you to heaven. You may be trusting your church membership, your baptism, or your family connections, or whatever, but you're going to be disappointed. Hell will be filled with people who have trusted everything but Christ. Be sure that you know Him. Be sure you're saved. And if you are, you ought to ask yourself this, what do your works for God say about your faith in Jesus? If somebody were to watch what you do day after day, would they conclude you were saved or lost? Or as I heard one preacher say, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
Can you prove you are what you say you are by what you do? Your works won't save you, but your works will mark you as a child of God or as a child of the devil. Since I've been here, I've had the opportunity to visit in a lot of homes in this area, knock on doors and invite folk to church. Some years ago, right after I first came to Calvary, I remember going to a home one day, and I probably told this story, knocked on the door, and the man who came to the door was, well, he was well on his way to being drunk. And we talked a few minutes and tried to, best we could, and I invited him to church. He said, I go to church. I said, really, where do you go? He said, oh, I go to Calvary. I said, really? I said, what's that pastor's name down there? He said, I never could tell me my name. And when he got done trying, I introduced myself, and I said, my name's Alan Carr, and I'm the pastor at Calvary, and I don't think I've ever seen you there. That's what I'm talking about. The man said he had faith, but his work said he didn't. Huh? But I've watched some of you, and you say you have faith, and your works say you do. That's a good thing. Others say they have faith, and their works say they don't. Faith without works is dead. There are some people in this room right now who need to be saved. You need to come to Christ and be born again. And God has shown you that. You know what you need. You know that you have this endless cycle of being in and out and in and out and in and out and up and down and up and down. And you can't seem to live for God. What you need is internal power. You need help from above. You need God to put something in you to get you going. I told them in the prayer room this morning, last night I had to run an errand. So I went out and got in my, got in my car and put that little key right there in the switch and turned it, and nothing. I mean nothing. Wouldn't do anything. I thought, oh, no. Got in Jones' car, went and did the thing I had to do, came back home. Got up this morning, went outside, jumped my car off, took it to AutoZone, got to witness to a nice boy over there. But took it to AutoZone, and guess what they did, Brother Tim? They took out that battery. They tested it. It's bad. It's cracked. It's leaking and all this mess. And they took it out, put me a new battery in, turned the switch. Boom, I could go somewhere. My car could work. Why? Because something happened on the inside of it that gave it the power to do what it needed to do. God changed the inside of me one day and allowed me to do what He wanted me to do. My battery was dead. My spirit was dead. And God had already diagnosed the problem. He said I was a lost sinner on my way to hell. But He changed the power plant. Now I can do something for him. Not perfectly, but I sure do want to. And that's a sign right there. Is it not? It is. Some folk need to renew your commitment to Christ. You're just not where you used to be. You know that. Not where you ought to be. You are nowhere close to living for God like you used to live for him. Faith without works is dead. 
Some need to come and thank God for what He's done in your life because He took you out of a mess and He changed your life and He made you different and He let you produce fruit to His glory. You know you're saved and you ought to thank Him because faith without works is dead and God took your dead faith away and gave you something living. For Mike Gold's talk about that. Church for years didn't know God. The one night He met Him, God put the power in Him. Been different. Been different. And I don't know what you need to do with this, but everybody here needs to know faith without works is dead. And if your so-called faith produces no fruit, your faith is dead. You say, preacher, that's rough. Yeah, I agree. It's terrible, but it's true. I didn't say it. God said it. Even so, faith, verse 17, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So many people around us, you talk to them, they don't live for God, they don't have any desire for the things of God, they don't go to church, they, they live really wicked lives. And you talk to them and they'll tell you, oh, I'm saved. I got saved way back, but there's no fruit. And we Baptists, man, we preachers, we are so guilty. I'll tell you this, and I'm done. We have made it so easy for people to get false assurance of salvation. We've made it easy for them to come forward, pray a prayer, and we get up and tell them, you're saved. That's foolish. Wednesday night in Bible school, I shared the gospel. We had 12 children stay to talk to me after that assembly. Twelve kids raised their hands, said they didn't know Jesus. They came and sat on this front pew, and I talked to them after the service. Eleven of those twelve, as I began to talk to them, they did not understand the nature of sin. They didn't know what sin was. You know what? It would have been real easy for me to take those kids and say, now y'all repeat after me. Y'all say this little prayer. I'm going to pray it. You say it. If you believe it, you're going to heaven. That would have been foolish on my part. They would have left out of here six, seven, eight-year-old kids believing they're right with God when they did know him because they don't understand yet but that's what we've done in our baptist churches for a generation or more we've asked people to pray a prayer we've asked people to do something like that and we've we, there's been no accountability there's been no expectation of fruit and a generation or more sits around with a false assurance of salvation well i prayed that prayer i shook that preacher's hand i joined that church and they baptized me i got all i need Faith without works is dead being alone. That's where we are. And we wonder why sometimes our churches fuss and fight and cuss and carry on. That's why. Because goats are among the sheep. Sheep are meek most of the time. Goats are not. You say, that's really unfair, but it's true. When you get a church full of goats you got problems. Because there's no fruit. All they want to do is button fight. Sheep, on the other hand, listen for his voice. And they want to follow where he leads them. That's how you know them. Sheep do his will. Goats don't. Simple as that. Faith without works is dead, being alone.
You have been listening to a sermon from Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for taking the time to visit our webpage today and to listen to our sermon. Please check back often for new content. We'd love to have you visit with us at Calvary Baptist Church. The church is located at 1369 Blowing Rock Boulevard Northwest in Lenore, North Carolina. Our Sunday morning worship begins at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night at 7 p.m., and you would be welcome at any of our services. Thanks again for listening, and may the Lord bless you is our prayer.